We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man Andreas Hill in the building. I just saw another day. I feel like it was just yesterday. We were at UFC 285. John Jones, the return of Bones, and a pretty decent card throughout. Like it, it was a little boring in the middle, but it picked up towards the end. So we have to talk about that, recap MMA on today's show, talk about a pretty good main event coming up here this weekend here in Vegas at the Apex, which seems like a fight that should be bigger than the Apex, but it's going to be interesting with the small octagon in there. We'll talk about all that stuff, the environment around the MMA fight this weekend. We'll talk about who was at Dre's and judging (laughs) how big of a fight Uh. this was for John Jones and if he brought him out. So we'll talk about all of that later on in the week. We still have a full boxing show to come. We're waiting on that because we have Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia. Their press conference is coming up this week. Hopefully some more announcements like a Haney Lomachenko one or Tyson Fury fighting God knows who. Uh, One, because it doesn't seem like they're budging on money with him and Usyk. So we'll talk about all of that later on in the week, as well as we approach Caleb Plant week here in Vegas versus David Benavidez. Uh, Caleb Plant right now, as we speak, is hosting his open workout from somewhere in the Caesars. So that looked really dope. He's doing that. Tons of boxing come up later in the week. And then, come on, pro wrestling, self-explanatory. We had AW pay-per-view, which probably didn't have any matches that missed. No. I think it was good from start to finish. And every match was different. So we got a recap. The entire AEW pay-per-view. We have talked WWE. We talk about Raw. And the best storyline in pro wrestling. As great as the wrestling in-ring was in AEW, this bloodline feud continues to be just as good outside of the ring. WrestleMania shaping up. That's like three weeks away. Crazy how... I'm so ready. Me too. It, it seems like it's going fast, but yeah. it's still too slow. Like, I'm legit... I mean, this is not our... Pro wrestling shows, but fuck it. Uh, <laughs> I, it's the one thing that I'm like, I'm legitimately excited for WrestleMania. Like, I'm, one, I'm excited because it's actually a good WrestleMania. Yeah. Right? Because usually, 
we go and we like, we're there and we're like, ah, oh, all these other shows are better. But there's tremendous shows throughout the week. And then there's WrestleMania. Then on top of that, Ballet Mania. And literally, everybody's going to be there. Like, I've been getting phone calls, text messages. What are y'all doing? What's this? What's that? So it's like the reverse frat pack. I think five of us will be there. Is it five? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of us? Yeah, me, you. Well, I got to go through this real quick. Me, you, Marcus Vanderberg, AJ Springer, Danny Acosta, Ryan McKinnell. Six. Yep, six. So six of us, Mecca from Two Doughboys. Boys. Basically, Marcus Vanderberg. Yeah, you said. I don't, I don't know. Listen. We're deep. Six or seven. The, the, yeah, so we're like all going to be there and then a bunch of other people, Kaz, Emilio, Mecca from Two Dope Boys is going to, well, he's trying to go to his first WrestleMania. <laughs> he's back into it. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be big. Obviously, Wale, E, Johnny, the Our Heels Rock crew are all going to be there. It's, I've settled on, I'm going to only go to one night of WrestleMania. What? How? Yeah. Um, because I could get tickets to both nights, but the seats wouldn't be where I wanted, or I can get the seats that I want for one of the nights. Which night? Two. So Cody and Roman. Cody and Roman. Um, and I know Sammy probably headlines night oh, one. Oh yeah. But we have the Airbnb. It's a dope Airbnb. It's not too far from Staples. There's a ton of shit on Saturday going on. Probably just going to do NXT on Saturday. Because it's right there. Well, it's not Staples. At Crypto. Get some bomb-ass food. And whoever in the crew doesn't go to WrestleMania night one can come over to Airbnb. Anyone else who doesn't go to night one is more than welcome and invited. We throw it on the big screen TV at the thing. Have like a dope-ass kickback. Eat some food. Watch night one. Get some rest. Gear up for night two the next day. So I think that's going to be my plan. Just so I could really, I really want to enjoy it. I really want to, um, and that's the luxury of having two nights. Yeah. It's like, yo, do I force myself to go to both? Stand in traffic both nights? Do all this both? I was like, I could get my media pass. Um, my wife said she would already stay in a crib for like one of the nights. She doesn't care. But I was like, I don't want to do it that way. I want to go enjoy myself, get a little bit nicer seats. I can take that extra money, eat good the night before. Get some food before we go there. I was like, yeah, it just makes more sense. So that's going to be my plan. You're going to be in the thick of things. I don't even, it's, I know it, about you. Yeah, You're going to be there. I got a lot. Going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that's, a, that's a busy ass weekend, but we'll save all the rest of that for a pro wrestling show. Yes. Because we were in the thick of some other shit this week. Yeah. It's, uh, man, so much going on here in Vegas for UFC this past weekend. Before I get to that, I want to spring this on you. Because again, we, don't have a UFC guest this week. It's just a very packed schedule. May or may not have one next week because they go to England. So that it's just travel schedule with UFC and everything's crazy. It opened up some more time. You know what the real biggest news of today is? It's not my New York Giants. It's not sports. What? Nick Cannon is having a reality show. Kevin Hart is the producer. Game show called Who's having my baby? Dre, how did they take this idea before we can think of it? You're a man of creating shows now. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. This isn't one that this I This got to be the first Ratchet show you really watch. 
Like, if I got to get you into something from the beginning, we got to watch this. One. I don't know. Like, I don't even know what this is going to be. No one knows what it's going to be, but that's why it's like enticing. If this shit is anywhere close to like a flavor of love, it's on E. This man is just spreading. The winner gets a baby? That's some real pro wrestling storyline shit. Yeah. But in real life. I'm waiting for some, some group of women to flip in and call it like, this is female empowerment, right? Like, Oh, that's horrible. I know, but <laughs> I can see it happening. They're like, you know, because even Flavor Love is like, why would you stoop that low to get the affection of fucking Flavor Flav? Like, ill. And then you was like, I have respect and integrity. No, you don't. You just did a reality show for Flavor Flav. Now, you're not even trying to marry Nick Cannon. You just want to have his baby, which is a reward in itself. It's a lottery ticket. But this poor kid, maybe or maybe not. Like he could Kids be great. a star off jump. Yeah, he could be a star, but the problem is, is mentally he could be just totally fucked up off this. Imagine you got to tell you, like, hey, how did I get conceived? I won a game show. There's what, worse stories. There are, but <laughs> everybody knows this one. That's true. You can't run from it. You know, and if you, you know, you can't go to school and how do you somebody? guarantee that the winner gets pregnant? I know. What if she can't conceive? Yeah, like what if Nick's shooting blanks? What if? 12 was the magic number, and he can't get to 13. Yeah, there's got to be paperwork. There's got to be a lawsuit. Something. I'm suing you for not getting me paid. Got to extract it. Like, it can't be like a normal way. Like, it has to be like a procedure or something. This feels sort. immoral. This feels like, <laughs> this feels like a, a show that should be illegal. Yo, we've, we've officially crossed that threshold of shit is crazy in television. Yeah, like, oh, I got a reality They've show. They've run like, out of ideas. And Kevin Hart was like, no money for me. Jump right in. If I could do anything. It ain't me, so. Heartbeat Productions. Yeah. Doo -doo. <laughs> hey, man. That's, oh, man. I had to talk about that because I was like, yo, there's a comedian in the news. Because you know the real thing this weekend. Yeah, it's Chris Rock, which I still haven't watched. I haven't watched. I, I'm not sure, and I bring that up only to say, I'm not sure I'm going to watch it. I am. Like, I'm not rushing to watch it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it, but I'm just, me... As anything else with me, I can't take the noise on social media. Like, it dry, the, the fact that so many people are talking about it is annoying to me. Yeah. Because there's two sides of it, and I haven't watched it yet, so I can't really comment on it. But people's like, why do you wait a year to talk about it? Why not? A lot of y'all talk about shit that people did to you 10 years ago, right? <laughs> and you never shut up about it. This man decided, all right, I'm, gonna do, I'm a stand-up comedian. He uses his real-life situations. And y'all want to hear about this. If Chris Rock were to get on stage and not talk about it, y'all would talk about him then. So I, I don't understand the, uh, that part of it where people are upset about that part. The rest, if it's not funny, it's not funny. That's a different story entirely. Sure. I think the prevailing thought from people who don't dislike Chris Rock, because there's a lot of people that just flat out dislike him. There's, there's a lot of people that flat out like, dislike Dave Chappelle. And no matter what he does, they're going to dislike it. Yeah. And the thing about Chris Rock, I think we've reached the point where once upon a time, Chris Rock was the underdog. So when he told these stories, he was always the underdog. And we were like, oh, that's funny because we didn't expect something like that to come from him. Now he's rich and on top of the world. And now he tells those same stories and it doesn't look like an underdog. It looks like somebody that's looking down on people. Much like Kevin Hart. Right. The content changes because your perspective changes. Right, because before, grown little man, you could relate. Oh, he's a dad. He's just getting here. He's not rich. Now he's rich talking about rich things, and people are like, the struggle's not the same. So now I hate it. 
I'm going to watch it myself. I could care less about what people are out here talking about, whether they hate Chris Rock. Chris Rock get money. And Chris Rock, look, every, every artist is due for a bad album, right? If this one is his, so what? Never scared. Everything else that Chris Rock has done, bigger and blacker. Yeah, some people age out and you don't like him anymore. Oh, well, I just don't like the fact that people jump on social media to already predetermined that they don't like him. And they're like, this is terrible. Well, no shit, you, you came into this thinking it was terrible. Like, if you come into anything thinking it's going to be bad, like WrestleMania yep. or a fight, and then you go, oh, this is going to suck. No matter what happens, you're going to say this sucks. That's interesting because the biggest thing, and you kind of touched on it, is I haven't seen it yet, going to watch, but tuning out the opinions before you watch. Yeah, I don't, I don't like my views tainted. No, so many people go in already with a thought process and a preconceived notion of what they want out yeah. of it. And a lot of that is shaped on what they see and people rushing. And I'm just like, what's the fun in that? Same thing you mentioned, like WrestleMania. What's the fun? Well, it's, it should it should have been Sami Zayn in this main event. If Sami Zayn is not main eventing, WrestleMania sucks. Cody Rhodes match against Roman is going to suck. So what are you watching for? Right. Well, like, what's the point? Yeah. Everything is so predetermined already. It, it makes no point in watching it. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, the other thing is, like, I am, I hate social media because the opinions are often very stupid in a vacuum. So, for instance, uh, The Menu. If anybody's seen The Menu on HBO, it's a tremendous movie. I've watched a certain group of people. Uh, a certain group of black people just, they hated it, right? And their rationale behind hating it was, it's very white or all these other things. And I'm just like, it's not a good reason to hate it. Like, I understand sometimes you don't want to watch something that doesn't have you in it. But when people start, like, White Lotus on HBO, I think it's incredible. I think the writing on the show is incredible. Any black people on the show? No. But I, I'm still going to watch it. Succession? Not a lot. There's a couple. But that's kind of just what's on television. But I, I watch people destroy these shows and say they're not good because they're missing a person. It's one thing to not be good. It's another thing to be missing people or a culture. So I, I hate that between that and like movies and comedy, it's like social media. It's like, y'all have a bunch of bad opinions as is. Like if you got bad opinions on TV in general, or if you like listen to a certain kind of music, I don't expect you to like Nas's King's Disease 3. Yeah. And if I hear your opinion on it, I'll be like, yo, I didn't ask for it. But a lot of people, they, you hear all these opinions and now you're like, oh, I don't want to watch it because everybody says it sucked. Well, who's everybody? There's 30 people that you follow on Twitter? Fuck them. Like, There's a lot of shit that I like that other people don't like. I don't care. So I'm going to watch the Chris Rock special on my own time. I'm not in a hurry. It's not like I watch award shows with people because I think it's funny. It's always funny to do commentary on Twitter for that. Stand-up comedy is just, it's too weird for somebody to say, that's not funny in real time. It's like, pay attention to the rest of the joke. Yeah, and I i mean, listen, I've notoriously tweeted from the middle of a Marvel movie. You have. So I have no problem watching stuff with other people, but I don't let that skew what I'm watching or my thought process on it, especially comedy, which is so subjective. So that's just a very weird thing. that, And everyone is a critic now. Everyone. It's like, that's, oh. If you get 10 likes on a post, 
I'm a critic. My voice counts. And it's like, and the ones that get the most engagement have the worst takes. They're like the worst. And they're like, ah, people like my opinion. No, we don't. Everybody thinks it's stupid. Like me, I am a critic. I got into this game as a critique of culture, like pop culture, films, movies, TVs. I've music. I've done this for so long. I think I have enough cachet in the game where my opinion carries some weight. But I watch people who never reviewed shit and they're like talking about like what to eat or what comedy is funny. It's like, I can't. Who are you? I don't need a room for every. Everybody doesn't need a microphone. That's where you get a lot of noise and people just saying shit. Like, I couldn't imagine social media with like Michael Jackson, right? People like saying, Thriller's not great. This sucks, right? I, I can imagine that happening. Like, for real? Or like comedy, Eddie Murphy Raw. This is one of my favorite stand ups of all time. Boy, that would not play well in today's day and age. And then people was like, it's not funny because blah, blah. Sh- shut up. Like, I can't. So, again, the, it, Chris Rock nailed it. Selective outrage. I heard one part. My mother was watching it today. She came <laughs> over to watch my son. And I, walk, I came downstairs and she was rushing to watch it. And there's a part where Chris Rock says, it's hard to be the victim when everybody's a victim. It's like everybody's in the hospital with a paper cut. And, like, the real people that need aid don't get it because everybody's a victim. And that's, like, one of the best ways to get attention on social media. I was like, yeah, he's not wrong. And I'm sure people hate it. What are you saying? And it's like, "Uh, everybody's a culture critic. Like, y'all don't. I'm sorry, man. I've done this shit too long. It's like too many of y'all don't know shit and be commenting on everything and just think your opinion matters. It fucking doesn't. No, like. People were going after Robert Downey Jr. last week for the blackface. Every the, like, yo, every six months, somebody gets mad at Tropic Thunder, and it's like, have you seen this shit before? Tropic Thunder's incredible, and I, every six months, I see somebody's like, have you seen this, Andreas? Yes. What do you think? I don't answer. Because I, why are we doing this again? Every six months, somebody's mad at Tropic Thunder. This is blackface. Did you see the fucking movie? Let's talk about method acting. It's a huge difference. Oh, it drives me <laughs> insane that people bring this stuff up every time. But some people haven't seen it. And then some people only get the context from social media. Right, and that's the worst. Yep. And that's like, and to pivot off of this just a little bit, and then we'll talk MMA. De La Soul's catalog dropped this week. And that's all I've been listening to. The people, the amount of people saying that it's whack was astronomical on Facebook. I didn't see anything like that. I didn't Facebook, look. I didn't look. Like, I wanted to slap people through the screen because I was like, it's not going to sound like Lil Baby. Like, what, what are you listening to this expecting? Two of them albums are 89, 91, and 93, and 96. It's still phenomenal. The production, phenomenal. Right. Like, so the, the, the catalog drops. I immediately joined the Stakes is High. Stakes is High is one of my favorite albums ever. But it's been so long to listen to it because I have it on CD. And nobody's going through all that in the car. I'm like, ah, I'd rather have it on my phone. I go straight to Stakes is High. It's so easy. Pony Ride. Stakes is High. Uh, Big Brother Beat with Most Def. And I was like, this album was made in 96? This shit is... And Paz's lyricism on this album is absolutely incredible. But I went back and listened to Ego Trail. I listened to De La Soul's Dead, Blue Mind State, Three Feet High and Rising. And I was like, there is a generation of people who have been deprived of these albums because it was never on streaming services. And we're talking at least 13 years that people did not hear a De La Soul album. 
the grind dates on there. But, and now people are being reintroduced to De La and Ego Trippin. I mean, De La Soul's day came out in 91. Like, Roll Skating Jam called Saturday. Fucking incredible song. Ring, ring, ring. And it's funny because there's so many bars in there that I've said to myself in my head just on, motherfucker, it got to be that way. I say that all the time. And I was like, God, it's a De La Soul, but some people have never heard it. I, I didn't look for commentary. I didn't look for anybody to critique it because I didn't care. Like, people are getting introduced to it. If you're listening with 2023 little baby ears, I'm sorry. It ain't for you. <laughs> It's like watching, it's like them re-releasing Raging Bull or re-releasing Mean Streets or re-releasing Carrie or re-releasing the first Nightmare on Elm Street today and people with these naked eyes are watching this. Special effects suck. That's not what it's all about. It's about the story. With Daylight, it's about the music. Like Prince Paul and the skits? Nobody was doing skits at that time. Like Dante needs a haircut? Come on, man. Like, But I, that's what I'm saying. Like I had to enjoy that by myself. I didn't want people to be involved. Like, I jumped in the group chat and I text other people. It was like, what did you listen to first? Oh, 3-5 Rise or Blue Mind State, whatever. But I didn't go on social media because I didn't care what people thought. Those albums are, that's a, an incredible catalog. There was one weird, J period. I don't know if people know what J period is. J period goes, this is the greatest four album stretch in hip hop history. I, was I, like, I saw that. J, hold on. <laughs> like, I love De La. Yep. But have you heard of Outkast? Like, even Kanye or Kendrick or, like, Tribe. I was like, God damn. You're jumping out the window, Jay. Chill out. But just enjoy the fucking music. I don't need you to rate it against everybody else's catalog. I don't need you to say, this sounds good for 2000. I don't need it. Just enjoy it. And people can't, people can't do that on social media. They just can't enjoy shit. Or they just can't go, you know what? It ain't for me. So I'm not going to talk about it. Every, everything is a comparison. I hate it. John Jones, who we're going to speak about in a second, it's he's back. Where does he rank not in pound for pound against GSP? Against oh, I, like, I, I'm ready to have that conversation. Yeah, like, but it was like instant. I was yeah. like, yo, like that was the first thing a lot of some people like tweeted. Those things go further than anything. Adding that to like the course of a dialogue and a conversation, having stuff like that on a podcast, something like that, the rhetoric, the back and forth, that's what we do. But if that's your first reaction, it's just like, oh, now you're just, you're, you're here to pick something to somewhat go viral with, right? Like, yeah. you, you want to force that narrative. Well, like, I thought it was fun, not even fun, funny to see the Kendrick Perkins, J.J. Reddit conversations that's been happening about Nicole Yochis being the MVP. And I've watched Kendrick Perkins create this narrative about white players he was like, oh, three MVPs didn't lead the league in scoring. Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Nikola Jokic. Steve Nash winning over Kobe will always be argued, right? Because yep. Kobe was nuking the league that year. But Steve Nash made his team better. In terms of MVP, he was very valuable to the Suns. So I understood it, even though I disagree, because like Kobe was, like, was literally putting people on his back yep. to get through that season. Dirk, no, he didn't lead the league in scoring. But did you see that Dallas team that year? And what Dirk was doing to people? He was abusing them. But then you go to the Nikola Jokic conversation. Yeah, we saw Russell Westbrook average a triple-double. Teams he played for sucked. Nikola Jokic, the Nuggets are in first place. He's 
he's not even the best. It's weird because he's not the most talented player in the year. He's just the best in terms of like MVP status. And I watched Kendrick Perkins create this narrative as to why Yochis shouldn't be MVP. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. If the Nuggets are in first place, he's already won it twice. I, there's no argument he should win it a third time. Well, Joel Embiid, are the Sixers in first? No. no. Like, this man is averaging a triple-double. Then he was like, oh, he's stat stuffing. I don't give a fuck what he's doing. They're winning. But Kendrick taking that stance is one thing. Now, social media has run with that stance. It creates that narrative like, all oh, these white people are voting for Nikola Jokic. That's not what's happening. He just happens to be the best player in the league. And then people on the other side of it is like, well, J.J. Reddick's just saying it because he's white. I like J.J. Reddick's opinion on basketball. I do, too. It has nothing to do with him being white. He just knows basketball. I don't agree with anybody's everything all the time. I don't agree with Stephen A. Smith. I don't agree with Max Kellerman. I don't agree with Sam Ocho. I don't agree with everybody, but somebody always has something valuable to say. It's when social media sinks their teeth into these conversations and draw a really hard line in the sand and do not consider anything else, but they just got it because they're white. It's like, dog, you're not even looking at the numbers. And I'm not even mad at J.J. Reddick coming back and being like, yo, this isn't about him being white. Or it's not like a, a black and white ish, and like, because JJ, he's he speaks out when it is the case of something yeah. like that. So when he's like, "Nah, it ain't that perk." Like, "No, nah, yeah, cool, shut that shit down." Like, if it, if it's not that, because it's the same thing. People go into hospital with a paper cut, like yeah. you said. Like, the, you perk created this narrative in a situation where it really didn't need to be. No, and that's my problem. That's, so, that's social media in a nutshell. Like, J.J. Ray was like, this is the problem with first take. No, J.J., this is the problem with social media. Yep. It's because we create stories that don't really exist, and we, like, get it ingrained that this is what it's all about when it's really not about that. Nikola Jokic is the best player in the league. That's it. Like, it's not Luka Doncic. It's not LeBron, because he's not been on the court enough. Joel Embiid's incredible, and he, he may be even better than Jokic at scoring and defense. But... Yochis is the best player in the league, and you just have MVP fatigue. That's all that's happening. People are like, he's been the MVP twice. We can't give it to him again. How could you not? But let's make it about something else. I mean, it's fairly easy, if you wanted to, to point out the obvious of, yes, he is the MVP again, probably. This will be his third. There's no rings to show for it. You could have that conversation. Sure, it's a regular season award. That's it. Put the pressure on, okay, we can give him MVP, but I need to see him win at some point. Easy discussion to have. Like, if, if, and again, creating narratives, like, if you want to make sense of the conversation, if that's your argument, then you've got to put pressure on the NBA to not announce an MVP until after the season's over and include playoffs, which they don't do. But it's a regular season award. And in the regular season, you don't even have to, like, I watch, I have league pass, so I, I try to watch as much as I can. There's no person no, more valuable to their team than him. Jamal Murray doesn't get the looks without Yokes. Like, you know, Aaron Gordon has had a tremendous comeback here, which nobody's really talking about. But if you watch how they play, it's because of Jokic. It's the things that he does. He, he's incredible. The, the, the long passes, the fast break, and the outlet. Like, he does everything right. And when I see somebody like Kendrick Perkins who watches basketball deny this man that he's great, like, what are you doing? What is your argument? It, it's weird. And then it becomes, to tie this into MMA, the separation between art and artist. Oh, yeah. Between playing and player, right? Between 
fighting in an octagon and the fighter. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I will start our MMA conversation with a post from Sporting News. Clarissa is incredible in terms of what she does. Great journalist. Had an interview with John Jones. I took a quote from it. It was so good. Like, I text you. Yeah. Yo, this is dope. I took the quote. It's on ESPN MMA. It's splendid. Thank you. It was a great interview by her. Great questions. You guys did a great job. Cool. Thought that was ended. Now a clip came out of a different show you guys are on. Yep, Fighting Words. Yep, Fighting Words. Where she's the narrator of it. And people on Twitter decided to attack her character <laughs> because she says uh. and mentions Javante Davis's real history yeah. with domestic violence and runs in with the law and everything. Why didn't you ask John Jones about that? Why? You just interviewed one. What do you mean? People have no clue, one, what the industry is like. Two, the different environments between having your own show and interviewing somebody and the etiquette of even interviewing them in real life, like we saw with you and Tony Khan. Yep. How much you can push back and forth because Tony Khan can say a lot of what he wants. He ain't just going to stand up and run through that glass window no. and bolt. But if someone's on a video call, you will get banged on. Yep. And a lot of these people don't understand. A lot of times PR people are on the other end of this call as well. They don't see them. There's other things and being monitored and them overshadowing a conversation. All these things go into place in different environments. For someone to then act like someone is ignoring that 
and have that entitlement that social media brings. Yeah. Where it's like, how are you going to tell her how to do her job? She is the professional. You are not. You've yeah. never interviewed John Jones. And if you did, I guarantee you wouldn't ask the questions that you think you'd ask. No. But Zero. <laughs> so, so like, the premise of this, because uh, for those who didn't see, like, on Fighting Words, we have a Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis episode. Chris is the moderator, and it's me and Tom Gray, former editor of Ring Magazine, where we debate topics. And it was brought up, like, should Tank be fighting? The reason why it was brought up was not because of the domestic and the hit and run. It's because of the timing of it all. It's right before your fight, right? That's the question. And Carissa mentioned it, but I went a step further. and I was like, if boxing doesn't do anything, if the networks don't do anything, what are we going to do, right? There is no uh, league chairman. There's no David Stern. There's no Adam Silver. There's no Roger Goodell that oversees boxing. Like, now, Rolly Romero got pulled of the first tank fight. That was a network decision, sexual assault allegations. I get it. So there was, it was a legitimate question asked, like, okay, if he goes to jail. And that's what I said. I was like, the only way this fight's not happening is if he actually goes to jail, right? Allegations are one thing. Going to court's another. But you got to go to jail. John Jones hasn't done anything right before the Cyril Gahn fight. He didn't do anything in the last eight months before he was uh, banging his head on cop cars. A year. That that happened at a UFC Hall of Fame induction. Last July. Last there July. Yeah, I was there. So, two Julys ago. Was it two or one? Two Julys ago. Okay. I was there. My former boss, New York Rick. Shout out to him. He was always on uh, Ariel show. I made fighting. But yeah, me and Rick were there. We saw him because we went to the Hall of Fame. John Jones gets inducted with his, in- brings his entire family, the kids, the wife. Yeah. Red carpet, loving each other. John goes to the after party. Me, Rick, my wife. We go to eat inside the same hotel that the after party's in. John is throwing them back. We come out. John is sauced. And we're like, oh, that, that could go wrong. Huh? And then we get alerts at 3 a.m. that we got to work again. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody remembers that. But it's like people were like, why didn't you ask me about that? What in the context of this conversation where he's making his return to heavyweight against Cyril Gaon, And if anybody knows has ever interviewed John, and I talked about it last week and some people attacked me. You're mad because John didn't have the same line of thing as you did. This is a clip. Listen to the whole podcast. I explained why Rashad Evans called him a fraud and why this plays into who he was the entire time. Like, it's one thing to say, yeah, I don't want to address this. But then you watch the behavior over the years and you realize, like, this man has been phony. He kind of says that at the press conference as well. Like, he was like, I'm just, you know, being the real me now. You admit it. You've been a fraud, right? It's still not the real him. No, it's still not. He's still, like, there's so many layers to John Jones. It's intriguing. But for those of us who have interviewed John Jones, he's hot and cold. And during that interview, when Chris was doing that interview, I was like, I would tell her, like, she had questions, I had questions. I was like, look, if he answers A this way, go with B. Because you have to gauge his temperature or else you're just going to get nothing out of him. And someone was like, it's because he like." John likes white women. I was like, all right, sure, whatever. Whatever the reason is, the interview went really well. I need somebody to explain to me, when did you want this question to be asked? Now, I'll ask John a question in, in the moment, like these allegations, as it pertains to what's going on. But if you're just asking the question just to rile them up, well, you ain't going to get nothing out of this interview. And people don't understand that. People that have never done an interview or have never been in this business, but they attacked her. And Carissa is incredible at what she does. But not only that, she's 
she's active in like in, in women's community, like in, in social issues. Like Carissa is very active. She's very outspoken against a lot of these things. But it was like, there's a time and a place for everything. It wasn't time to go. Like, it's not like I'm not going to show up to the UFC press conference and be like, hey, Dana White. Yes. Black power. Like, we're not going to do that because there's no there's no place for that at that particular time. Now, if Dana says I'm not acknowledging Black History Month, now we got to have a conversation. It's the middle of February and I'm sitting there. I'm going to ask a question. Same thing. Like, I couldn't go to last week's presser and again bring up him slapping his wife. Right. Like, what are we trying to get out of this? Yeah, Like, he wasn't punished. He's at all of these events. It was asked a month ago. He answered the question or two months ago, whatever. I can't every month ask him about this. I, I just can't. Like, if you are not satisfied with that answer, then so be it. John's, again, happened 18 months ago. If you weren't satisfied with the answer, the punishment, everything else, understand maybe this is the first time he's in public again since then, which at the press conference during the week, he addressed like, oh, thank you to my fiance. I love my, like you knew. She was around all week. Yeah. The, the narrative brings her into the octagon. We'll talk about that. Um, we talk about like his post fight presser and everything. You knew the narrative he was already painting. So it was just like, what is he going to give me other than this status quo line? Because a lot of us not only interview John Jones, we've interviewed Floyd Mayweather for years. Yes. And we understand the by the book company line that you will get and how it then affects the rest of the interview. Yes. So it's just like, where do you put it in? When is it the natural time? Do you address it here? Does he address it during the week? Have people heard the answer that you may get? Do you just want the same answer just to be on your show? Because a lot of people think that way. A lot of people be like, yo, this person has said it eight other times, other places, but I want it on my show. Or I want to get the same quote. It's like, what are you Bruh. proving? Like, the art of journalism is a, is a, there's an art to this, right? You have to set people up if you want to get what you want. But you can't be so transparent. It's like boxing. It's like you can't throw the, you just can't throw a lead right hand without flashing the jab or something. Like some people just dive in and expect people to get knocked out. They're on the other side of this. They're media trained. Floyd Mayweather is the best at this. Yep. Floyd, once Floyd Mayweather starts hitting you with the, like I said before, you might as well stop talking about what you were talking about. Like I said before. And he starts doing that, forget it. You're not getting anywhere with it. But I'll never forget the Ray Rice situation before the Madonna fight, one or two. I can't remember what year that was. And I can't remember who set him up. And it was like the perfect, I was like, oh, shit. Because they asked him about Ray Rice. And Floyd wasn't smart enough to realize this is going into my own domestic issues because Floyd was like, well, we haven't seen everything. So, you know, I'm not going to pick a side. And it was like, no, we saw him knock her out. And Floyd kept going. And I'll never forget Kelly Swanson yelling, stop, Floyd, stop. Pulled him out of that interview because like he didn't, he was set up. And I was like, that was good shit. But you can't just go into every interview. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, about that hit and run and the hot flaming Cheetos and con- like, man, you can't do that. That's not how this shit works. So people got to learn it. But uh, half of you are like, don't ever tell me how to do my job until you actually do my job. Don't do it because I've done it. I've been I've been in the circus. I've ran. I've been at the I've dealt with Diddy when he was like, I have to talk about my cologne. And I was like, I ain't doing this shit Like you have to make a decision because then people are like, well, I just do the interview. with Diddy. Like those who don't know, there was an interview with Diddy. <laughs> this is. 2006, and the publicist who was a friend of at the time was like, he only wants to talk about his clone. This is in the middle of when Jada Kiss was talking about throwing the fridge on him. <laughs> and I was like, 
So I can't ask him about the locks. He was like, no, he won't answer. I was like, well, I'm not doing the interview. And they were, she was like, yeah, but you know, it would do traffic. I was like, no, it won't. I'm not doing no fluff interview. Like, because it was in the heat of the moment. I was like, Jada was just on 97 talking about throwing a refrigerator on him. And I'm supposed to talk about fragrances? No, I'm not doing that. But if it was three years later and I'm like, hey, Diddy, yes. Remember that time Jada wanted to throw a fridge? <laughs> he, he ain't up for that anymore. But there's always people that are going to tell you how to do your job. And there's a lot of you dumb fucks that are like attacking a woman. Like, chill out. Relax. Get a life. Yeah, like she doesn't care. They're just, again, people do that in the daily, the daily of being black in these spaces, which is something I can identify with. I obviously can't identify with being a woman in these spaces. But I can identify with this situation where it's the, I told this to one of my bosses at ESPN not too long. I was like, the last thing I want is being the only black kid in history class during Black History Month. And every time something's mentioned, the teacher calls on you. Yeah. That is what these situations are. And it's like, yo, this person said this about black people. Oh, you you want the only black people in this space. You talk about it. If I want to talk about it, if I want to press them, if I, however I want to handle this is how I shall handle this. If for some reason Chris is doing the John Jones in interview and it doesn't come up and all that stuff, that's fine in terms of the women. If she then is in the midst of talking on a different show and feels the need to address Gervonta's stuff, that's fine. Whenever and however she wants to address women's issues and domestic violence or anything that affects her life and opinions on things, she does it in her own time. Yeah. We do not tell her because she's one of the only women here when to press men on what they do. Yeah, it's really that simple. So, yeah, social media sucks. Uh, let's talk it's, about it's horrible. Let's talk about UFC. Uh, God damn, 285? Is it 285 UFCs? Yes, yes, it was UFC Shit. 285. Um, we'll just run down the card really quick. No, let's just start at the top because that's all people want. That's what people want to hear. Run through the bottom real quick. No, no, no. We got to start at the top because everybody here is love going backwards. I know. We'll go right into the John. Jones we have place. to because you mentioned it. We just talked about John. John beat Cyril Gaon in two minutes and four seconds with a guillotine. Yes, I, I honestly, when we did our predictions, we said third round sub. Yeah, I said second round sub, and I was like. I went on a show later that week, like a radio spot. And I was like, second round. I got to kind of like stick by my picks. Right. Because like, I don't want to change it from the show. But as the week went further and like transparency, like my job's in social media, if you guys don't. And I was covering this. So I was backstage and I was at the presser. I was at the weigh-ins. And you text me when we were at the presser. Yo, where you at? I was like, yo, I'm backstage. I'm with Cyril God. Like uh, my job's file, Cyril, other person covering it, at John. I was like, yeah, I'm back here with Cyril Gunn. And then you're like, light flex. Like, nah, that's not like, <laughs> but like, uh, that was my task. I was tasked following Cyril. Right. And the look of every promo that came on the backstage television, every he was so zoned out and encompassed by the moment that I was like, oh, shit, this ain't good. <laughs> so I went on a radio spot later. I was like, I'm going with second round sub, but I may be generous. I think he's going to get tapped in the first. Because I'm not saying he was just happy to be there. 
But there's levels to this shit. Yes, he was, he was overwhelmed by the moment. Completely. And I saw it early in the week. Completely overwhelmed by the moment. And I was just like, that's not great. Because you got to remember a lot of shit when you're fighting John Jones. And I was like, once he gets taken to the ground, it's over. Because it's going to be panic mode. And yes, he's worked on his wrestling since... Uh, Francis took him down sure. and coming into this fight against John worked on his wrestling a ton. All that shit goes out of your head because you were, the moment was too big and you panic. And that's what I saw in there. It was just like John, as soon as he was in the grasp of John, immediate panic. Yeah. And there's no form. He didn't try to get his back against the octagon. He didn't try to fight the hands. John did whatever he wanted to him and tapped him. It, at one point, Cyril escapes the guillotine and then immediately is like shocked and just puts his head up, yeah. chin in the air. And John was just like, oh, thank you. you. Give that back to me? Ah, give me that. And it was over and John barely broke a sweat. He didn't break a sweat. I mean, listen, so there was a couple of things that were happening during the week. My favorite was the round table that they had at the MGM with Daniel Cormier. Anthony Smith, uh, Dominic Reyes, and Rashad Evans. Yep. Talking about, all talking about fighting John Jones. And you can tell who was still salty. The Dominic. beginning of that was hilarious. Dominic Reyes was still salty, right? Enough distance hasn't been created between him losing to John Jones where he can go. He's really good. He just couldn't say it. No. Like He was like, but I won. And people were like, well, no, you didn't. Rashad, DC, Anthony Smith, they were like, we lost. He's really good. And I'm listening to the four of them talking. It was the best thing Anthony Smith had the best perspective on this. He was like, he fucks with you in fight week. He shows up, he messes up your schedule. Because he's the star and he knows he's the star. So it's like, press conferences, hey, I'll be there in a minute. Oh, you're you're interviewed? I'm going to take that interview block. Well, you're the B-side, so now you got to move around. Floyd does this very well also. And like Anthony Smith talking about that, I was like, yeah. And then I'm watching through the week and it's like, Cyril's never, like, the Ngannou fight was like, yeah, neither of us have a lot of personality, right? But John is, like, the story. And it wasn't like Cyril could just sit back and fight. He had to deal with what I talked about last week. I don't even know who this guy is. Three years, he shows up in my weight class, big as fuck. Like, what do I do with this? But also, this is a whole different sense of media that I'm dealing with. And then, you know, Rashad talked about the same thing. DC was now taking the losses in stride, which... Of any person who should still be salty, it should be him. But he talks about how much better he was. And then I'm like, this is very interesting because they were trying to find something wrong with John. And Rashad goes, I wish his body was a little bit tighter. And DC was like, yeah. And, you know, DC was like, yeah, but I'm on the dad bod variety. And you saw what I did (laughs) with how I looked. And I was like, see, we're we're, we're trying to pick at things. And they're trying to pull the string and see if they can unravel the yarn. And they just couldn't do it. So by the time fight night go, rolls around, I can't remember who texted me and they were like, who do you think is going to win? I was like, well, I've always thought John was going to win. When the fir- fight was first announced, I was like, maybe Cyril could get him. But then I saw John and I was like, nah, we tend to forget. He's the best MMA fighter in the world. As they're making the walk to the octagon, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, he's dead. Like, he's dead. Usually when I cover fights, when I'm ringside, I get nervous like I'm fighting. Yes, Very, I get the goosebumps every yeah, time. Like every, I get really nervous, especially when I don't know who's going to win, right? Like, I get really antsy, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn. I don't know how he's going to come out. 
the way John looked by the time he hit the octagon after he cut the tape, and I was like, in my head, I was like, maybe that's going to fuck with his head. And then John's like, oh, whatever. And he gets in the octagon, and he does the, the cartwheel, and the, everybody's cheering, and John's eating this shit up. And I'm like, he's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Cyril's like looking around like, I'm just ready to fight, but I've never been in this before. And then the fight starts. And Cyril is trying to take the center of the octagon. And here comes this long motherfucker. Throw a couple, he throws a few right hands. And John's not a great striker, but he strikes to get his hands on you. And Cyril just looked lost. And once John got his hands on the takedown, I typed, it's over. <laughs> like, just forget so, about it. He bunches him up. The overextension, first off. Oh. With Cyril, because like Cyril, I don't know if he expected John to like step back and counter him mostly. And his corner is like telling him like, you have to engage, make him. And it was just kicks at first. So it was kicks, kicks. And Cyril throws one of the first actual punches and that overextension. And John's just like, oh shit, ducks yep, right hey, under it. Thank you. It's over. Yep. You give me that. And then they're on the ground and I'm just watching John. I'm like, oh, he's already in mount. Oh, he's already bunching him. I'm like, Cyril doesn't even know how to defend this. He's never been in this situation before in his life. So not only, he's not, I don't even know he's tapping because he's getting choked out. He's tapping because he doesn't want to choke, get choked out. That right? shit was deep. Like he, he's stuck. Yeah, it was deep though. <laughs> and he's like, well, what am I doing here? You know, we can talk about wrestling all we want. I've never seen anything like this. It's one, it's the same thing with Floyd Mayweather. I love watching people train to fight Floyd Mayweather because they get people to do the shoulder roll. They can't do the shoulder roll. And it's like, here, I know how to get around that shit. And it's like, it, it's not that. You could train with all the wrestlers in the world, but John Jones is different. And the way, as soon as he took him down, you could just see it on Cyril's like, fuck. Even his corner's like, help. Like, no matter what they say, everything sounded like help. And then John submits him and gets up and he does his little dance. And the photo of John doing the shush. Yeah. And Cyril looking. Oh, like bewildered. Lost. <laughs> like, he had no clue what happened in his entire life of fighting. No one's probably ever run through him like that. No. He only lost one fight. Kickboxing, he fought for a little while. Well, yeah. I mean, you trained in the gym. Sooner or later, you're going to take ass whooping every yeah. now and then. Probably never seen shit like no, that. No, he got, he got mauled. To the point where mentally, I don't know what it takes to come back from that. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about this because, uh, as an aside, I'm, I'm working on something with Caleb Plant like Life After Canelo. Right, because when you lose at the, in the biggest stage, it changes you. And oftentimes, it's not even matters if you're undefeated. It's fighting that person, right? Like Canelo's Floyd ruined everybody. If you go back in history, everybody that's fought, fought Floyd has been ruined. Victor Ortiz, Robert Guerrero was never the same. Shane Mosley, we didn't hear from ever again. Marcos Maidana got close the first time, and then he just ate all his money. Ricky Hatton. Like, you just run down the, Zab Judy, you run down the list of everybody that Floyd beat, and you're like, why does this happen to them? Well, it's because your whole life you think you can beat this guy. And it's not about losing because people have losses. But it's about, I gave it everything I had, and it was nothing. That, the embarrassment, the internal embarrassment. Because yes. other people say, like, yo, you hung with one of the best, or, yeah. oh, you did your best, you come back, you get them next time. The internal embarrassment of knowing you gave 100% and did 10. Yeah, it's it, just, it's, it, it changes it you. with you. But it only, the only time, like, because somebody's listening to this podcast, like, well, what about Canelo? Canelo was too young and dumb to understand what was going on. And it was like the best thing that happened yep. to him. Play with house money. Because he goes into this fight, 
thinking he can win. He's 23 at the time. He's fighting what they call an old man. And then he's fighting and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm done. I can't beat this guy. But he's so, and I say stupid in terms of ignorance and youth. So I'm just going to keep going. Because at the time, he's 23, and what he does is he recalibrates. He goes home and he goes, fuck, I just lost to the best fighter in the world. Well, what can I take away from that? Be a better defensive fighter. Work on my footwork. And then you watch him, and he, he became, he plugged all the holes against Floyd. It's that's, different. Uh, that's such a great point. Because the expectation levels is different, right? So, like, if Canelo fighting at 23, these other guys are fighting at the zenith of their careers. Exactly. You're fighting in your prime. I would compare it, if someone needs like a, a layman's term comparison, is like, if you are in the fourth grade and someone tells you, go take the SATs and you can go to college and you score a 500 on the SATs out of 1,600, you'd be like, I'm in the fourth grade, I scored 500. Right. I have the rest of my life through high school to take these SATs again, I'll be fine. You take that in stride. You understand that it was a great experience and you grow. You're taking that shit as a junior and you're taking the test at SAT and it's for your college career, it's for your life, and you get a 300 and you're just like, fuck college. Right. Fuck it all. My future is done. I ain't got time for this. The perspective is completely different. That's going in against Floyd. You can go in there and have everything shut out, but if you're 23, you're like, well, I'm not going to face anyone like Floyd again. And if I do, I'm going to have all these years in front of me experience. And I did okay for where I'm at. But if you go and you're 33 and you've been a world champion in all these divisions and you've smoked people, just like Caleb Plant going into the Canelo fight, all the, and you just ran through people, this guy just takes your soul and you got nothing for him. It's like, fuck. And that's, that's what you had against John Jones. When John is focused and has something to prove, he is unlike any other fighter in MMA. We've seen him unfocused. He's admitted this. Yeah. He's partied all week. He, used to, he said, I used to do shit fight week to give myself an excuse in case I lost. He shortened the curve against other fighters and still smoked them. Yeah. When him and Gus had the classic and you fought Gus again, he was like, I'm going to show y'all. I wasn't focused at all. I was like tricking this shit off. Watch me. Every time against Cormier. Oh, you think he's the one? Watch this. To the point where he dominates him, comes back and be like, ah, it wasn't enough. Yeah, let me knock him out. No, yeah. Head kick, knockout. Whenever he's focused, it is scary. Yep. And for so long, I think the product, you mentioned his last three fights last time, was bored. Dude, he, like you watch John in those fights and you're like, what's he fighting for? In his head, he's like, what am I fighting for? And DC is a perfect example of, of, a, of another individual. He had, I just started watching Ted Lasso, right? It's an incredible show. Like, I can't believe you fuckers didn't tell me about this. It's the greatest <laughs> feel-good show on television. But there's a part, uh, he's, he mentions the memory of like a goldfish, right? He's like, you need to have a memory like a goldfish. Daniel Cormier had a memory of a goldfish when he fought John Jones. Yep. He lost two fights. It was like, bah, fuck it, moved on. A lot of people, they can't get over that. And they have a memory like an elephant and it haunts them for the rest of their careers. And Cyril looks like somebody who's going to be haunted for the rest of his career because now all he's going to do is work on his wrestling and he's going to negate every other aspect of his game. But that's what John does to people. What if they give him blades next? Right, that's what and I'm saying. he's like, oh, fuck. But, like, if, again, everybody that John fought weren't the same. I mentioned this on the last show. 17 of his 20 opponents, gone. They're not even in the UFC anymore. They're out of here. 
Molson was never the same again. Leo Machida was never the same again. Yeah, he got knocked out by Shogun, but John was like, fuck that. I'll do you one better. I'm going to choke you to death. To, Glo- to Glover a decade. Yeah. To rebound. Glover was, uh, was on a 20-fight winning streak heading into the fight with John. And people were like, maybe this is the guy. John was like, no, he's not. Get him out of here. Because every time you put something that you think I can be, he has something to prove. Which brings me to my next point. Yeah, John Jones is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. I think we've seen enough about that. But I don't think people really understand how big the gap between him and where most people GSP is. I've watched yeah. people tell me, like, it's close. And I was like, no, it's not. There are levels to this. And John is, John has created a gap between him and the field that is like what Jordan was at his zenith, where it was, he's untouchable. And people are like, well, GSP won titles in two weight classes. Yeah, sure, but he fought Michael Bisping, right? And he took him three rounds to beat him. John has fought former world champions, future Hall of Famers. Uh, GSP lost two fights. This is my first point about GSP. Yep. He lost to Matt Hughes, which you can say, all right, yeah, he lost to Matt Hughes. It was only his eight MMA fight. Hughes was a well-developed champion, and Hughes beat him. And you're like, well, that's forgivable. Then he beats him in the rematch. Matt Sarah, you can't justify this. No. He got knocked out by a guy who was on the Ultimate Fighter 4 Redemption, which was a show about, hey, your career kind of sucks. Here's a shot. He gets a chance. I think he's like a plus, like, 1,500 underdog, and he scores a first-round knockout, right? That eliminates George from the conversation. But for, since y'all want to continue to talk about it and say, well, that happened. John was 23 when he fought Shogun Hua. And people go, well, that wasn't the Shogun at Pride. No, but it was the Shogun who just knocked out Leota Machida. Right, this this was still Shogun, who was twenty nine years old, was the world champion, and John treated him like he didn't exist. He mauled him, he murdered him. What John has done that GSP never did, he beat you at your own game, and then he beat you in ways that you've never been beaten before. Like you, you for instance, Rampage, Rampage is like this motherfucker choked me out. Didn't happen before. <laughs> you look at, and I mean, you go down the list. He beat Shogun and Machida in the same year. The same calendar year. He submitted them both. What? GSP never did this. GSP barely got by Johnny Hendricks. And why I talk about Hendricks is some people was like, well, that's like John and Dominic Reyes. No, it's not. John won that fight by unanimous decision, right? And it was a close fight. Don't get me wrong. People thought Hendricks could beat GSP. People were like, he's the guy. And GSP looked motivated heading in that fight. And he took so much damage that he was like, I'm done. And he, John's never been in that situation. He went to Hollywood. He was like, I'm out of here. I'm John, growing hair. That's how much damage he took. Yeah. I'm growing hair. He's like, I'm done with this shit. Like, and then he came back, saw Michael Bisping and beat him. And people were like, well, Bisping gone. What's the difference? Well, gone had only lost one fight. But I was like, John mauled him. But there's this, there's this other thing. John has had one split decision against Thiago Silva, which was like, whatever. He won that fight. But if you look at all of his fights, he rarely loses a round, right? And some people are like, well, GSP was there longer. No, actually, John's been in the UFC longer than GSP has, right? They've had, John's had more fights than GSP, and, he, and he's still at the peak of his career. In a new weight class where he's like, Stipe, I want you. And John does what certain fighters do to t- like he turns himself on, you know, like I get my nipples hard. Because <laughs> he goes, Steve, you're the greatest heavyweight of all time. That may not be true. But right now, John believes that shit and he's gonna fuck you up for it. That's the scariest place to be in. Because he's manufactured 
dislike for you. He's manufactured that you have something that he wants. Yep. When he fought Cyril Ghosn, he meant like, even though it was kind of true, he, he manifested this idea was like, people think I can lose. People think that my skinny legs won't carry this weight. People think that Cyril's striking is going to be the difference maker. And even though Cyril was nice to him all week, John had already made up his mind. I'm going to kill this man. John is also as fraudulent, as fake, as wishy-washy as he is as a human being. When it comes to fighting, he's different. He talked about Cyril, and he was like, yeah, I see a lot of things he does wrong, right? And, you know, he uses kickboxing and range. And then he starts talking detail. And then you start going, oh, fuck. Greg Jackson's not here to help John. This is John's mind working. And, it, like, at the press conference, he says these things, and he's like, I'm happy to be back. And you can, you can like, all the other sappy shit, you're like, ah, shut up, John. But when he just starts talking about fights, X's and O's, being the best, like when he used to pick on Israel Adesanya. Yep. I'll kill you, kid. He was like, nah, Izzy has a chance. He's like, no, he doesn't. Listen to John. You don't have to like him as a person. Separate the art from the artist. He is bar none the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. He could lose his next fight. I don't care. He's created that much distance. He's untouchable. It'll take, and, I, and my, the story that I wrote, the case is closed. You can't reopen it for five years. because Somebody needs to establish five years of dominance to enter the conversation because John's done this for 15. Yeah, and the inactivity, I understand, will help. But again, you need someone who wins the title, not like Habib, like later and just goes on like four winning, four defenses. You need someone who wins the title early. Yeah. And then keep going. It's, it's the Jordan effect. I mean, dude. Jordan J- stopped chasing other people. Yeah. After the first three championships. Right. He got bored. And he yep. was dad died and all that shit. But he was like. Came back, manufactured everything after that. Enemies. It, yep. Just lost to the magic. It was like, well, got to kill them the next year in the playoff. And then just manufactured hate out of everyone. To this day, the competitive edge is. If you're not even talking shit to him, he'll manufacture it. Kobe had that same quality. Like, John has that same quality. The craziest thing about John is, is that we all know there's the public persona and people be like, John is fake and they're very much so. John, unlike a lot of other fake people, he slips often. Yeah. The Cormier, the after camera cut. Oh. You there, pussy? Like, there's... It's like watching a movie where there's a click in his eyes that changes. So even at that presser that you you mentioned, I'm so happy to be here. Thank for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Crowd. Woo. Yeah. Oh, I love my fiance, everything. And this is a press conference leading into the fight. All this stuff. Thank you, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, what's your game plan? What do you see wrong with Cyril Gunn? Switch. And it flips and he's like laser focused and he's replaying shit in his head on where he's bad, how he can like kind of take advantage of him. There's this weird fucking smirk that goes over his face. There's like an inner pleasure in hurting people and John Jones. And that's the real John Jones to the point of, and I'm not even talking about like the domestic violence shit because that is also part of it. But John Jones has this, this thing in his head where he hurts himself purposely. Yes. Doing drinking, cocaine, all this stuff, fight weeks. In case he loses, he's 
self-deprecating. He's constantly doing shit against his greatness to try to then overcome it. Yeah. Constantly hurting himself in the quest of being great and maybe proving to himself. Maybe he feels he's unworthy. Maybe he feels like, again, maybe he feels God does have a hand in his life and these are the trials and he's creating these things to see how far God could take whatever it may be. He internally loves to hurt people himself first and foremost, but in the octagon, he loves when he gets the chance to prove people wrong and hurt someone. That's it's just internal. And he hides that for most of his life, but the real him that always comes out. I mean, yeah, he, again, he's wired different. And I've sat there and I've watched, you know, at the press conference, I've watched people on social media. He's like, he ain't bringing up Francis Ngannou. And why did he say this about Francis? I was like, dog, he, he'll be Francis Ngannou. No oh, problem. He's not ducking Francis no. Ngannou by any means. Like, he wants, he wants that fight. But all the, all the other stuff, like, he didn't want to fight. Or he, forget all that. When it comes to the fight itself, John's looking at Francis like food. Yep. Stipe beat him. Just taking him down. Okay, cool. You can talk about hitting like a truck all you want. But John is... John Jones has never been knocked out. Like, again, the GSP comparisons. GSP got knocked out, right? He got submitted. His two losses were inside the distance. Not close fights. He just got beat. John Jones has never touched the canvas, courtesy of somebody else. His, he's been on his back. When I did by the numbers, I was like, this is a stupid stat. He has been on his back, and he's fought <laughs> D.C. twice. Yep. He's fought like Leoto Machida. He's fought Shogun. He's fought Chael Sonnen. 0.2% of his career has been on his back. It's by far the best bottom, the least bottom uh, positioning in ever in the I don't UFC. Even know who took him down, Gus? DC. Oh, DC. Very quickly. And John popped up because people, if you remember the commentary, was like, oh, we're going to see what. Uh, by the time they said that, John was already <laughs> at his feet. And then what did John do? Single leg trip, put DC yep. on his back. And everyone's like, oh. And DC is arguably the greatest wrestler we have ever seen in the octagon in terms of putting that all together. And John spent no time on his back. John takes great pride in smashing expectations. Like you talk about how he like, likes to hurt himself to create hurdles. That's the only way he knows how to fight. That's the only way he knows how to live. The shit that he did with it, like, it's not trying to, I, I can't necessarily tap totally into the mentality of, not making yourself a victim, but giving yourself reasons. Yeah. And it's like, I need a reason to want to fuck you up. It's like, you're not giving me one. All right, I'm going to make one. And if you're that delusional, it's like having an imaginary friend as a kid. If you're, if you're that into this idea of manufacturing and creating something, you start to believe it, it's hard to turn it off. And John does that better than anybody. He gets into a fight. And he's just like, you got something I want. Or you're trying to take something from me. A lot of people use these words like they're trying to take food off my plate. But they're rich, right? Like Connor says it. It's like, you don't mean that shit. You're rich. Nobody cares. You don't train like you used to. None of that stuff. John is training in like some dingy garage with like Walt Harris. People are like, he's, you know, Walt Harris and Maurice. Like, but he's training with giants so he can figure out like technique because he knows he's the best. And he knows like, if I train in this dirty, filthy room, there's no lights. There's no cameras. Like, this is going to get the best out of me. And if I lose, then I know I need to upgrade. Like, he creates that weird shit. He's, 
I keep saying he's the best fighter that the, like he's transcendent. I wrote this is I don't care what Dana says or anybody else says. That was perhaps the single most important fight in UFC history in terms of legacy. We've had big fights. We just had Volkanovski and Makachev. They're like number one, number two, but that here today, gone tomorrow. Everything's bigger at heavyweight. Yeah, but it's not only that it's bigger at heavyweight. We're talking about legacy. We're talking about who's the greatest of all time because the greatest of all time defines your sport. Muhammad Ali defined boxing, right? In Tom Brady's recent run has defined football or Joe Montana before him. Uh, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, like Mike Michael Trout. Michael Jordan defined the NBA. Like, yeah, you have others before him, but once you start creating that distance, it becomes must-watch television because you're not even watching them versus the competition. You're just watching them. And now John has created... The UFC is like, he may not be as big as Conor McGregor, but that man's legacy was on the line. And not only did he win, he, he exceeded it. And now it's like, when he fights Stipe, we're going to that fight, not going, is he the best? Like, he is the best. And now it's, can anybody beat him? We don't ask that about anybody else. Like, everybody else has been beat. And MMA, more than any other sport, you're going to lose. That motherfucker has it. The five dots. It's crazy. 15 years. 15 years. And some people's like, what about the inactivity? He fought every year. Even when all this shit happened, he fought every single year until 2020. At least once. When he first started his MMA career, he had four fights. No, six fights in four months. And then he went to the UFC and started. That's stupid. Like He, he was like, oh, I'm going to train, do this. Oh, you want to get in a fight? Sure. You want to get another fight two weeks later? Sure. He had three fights in like a month and a half. Then he had two more fights. And they was like, hello, you want to join the UFC? Sure. He wins that fight. Then he fights Jake O'Brien. Then he fights Stefan Bonner. And then somewhere along the way, we're like, wait, what the fuck? Hold on. (laughs) Then short notice. Hey, this kid's over here. Let's do it. Dude, I I went to San Diego to watch a fight with Vladimir Matusenko, the the janitor. And I was like, Matusenko is like seasoned veteran. Like, he'll give John a tough test. I'll never forget. John is in that crawling stance, opens it, crawls to him, takes him down, and crucifix him, elbows him, the fight's over. And I remember after the fight, at the press conference, when they were real small and John was there, and John never remembered me because I met him at like the magic show. He was there. And this is another reason why I said John was fake. The first time I met John Jones, he puts his arm around me. I have a picture somewhere. I think my brother-in-law has it. John has put, he's put his arm around me, and he goes, it's good to see another brother in the sport. And this is the first time meeting John Jones. I was like, wow, he's a, he's a real one. And then, yeah. But at the match you single, he remembers me. And I was like, John, I was like, uh, I'm not trying to ask you how much you show him. But he was like, if you, had to, if you had to go from like zero to 100, how much have we not seen? He was like 90. And Dana was like, what? He was like 90. He was like, I'm about 10% right. And I was like, you just beat the shit out of everybody. He's like, yeah, but this is stuff I do to everybody. I was like, I can't wait to have to be forced to fight. What? Who says that? But then it took him until the Gustafson fight when he was probably high and hung over. Super and he's like, high. this guy's beating me. <laughs> all right. Snap back and spinning elbow. Do all this shit. Fourth and fifth round. He was like, I'm losing? That was it? Like, Shake it off. I'm hung over. I'm coked out. And I'm going to find a way to win this fight. He's the best ever. He's the best to ever do it. By the way, those fourth and fifth rounds weren't that close. Like, no, they weren't. When he turned it on... Gus had no answers for it. Like, Gus was like, I'm winning, I'm winning. He ain't that good. He ain't that good. And then John was like, he said, I'm not that good. Like, he manufactured it. 
All right, let's go. Same thing with Dominic Reyes. Yeah. Like, oh, he's up? One and three for him? All right, let's get it. And, and you know, uh, Terrence Crawford does the same thing. I love when Terrence, like, he's winning the Sean Porter yeah. fight. He's, he's also mean. Yeah. Like, internally. Yeah. He's winning? Fuck that. I'm going to go kill him. Like, John, GSP's too nice. I remember GSP versus Carl Condit. Condit hits him with a head kick. People thought it was over. GSP gutted it out. Uh, and again, there's going to be people that said Habib. And a long time ago, I was like, you can make a case because Habib has been so dominant. John has more title fights than Habib has fights. <laughs> what, what is the conversation yeah, we're having here? Tough. There's nobody better. And there's nobody that exists in the space right now that's close. Volk has lost to Makachev. Makachev has already lost before. Yuri, you got at least five years when we start having this conversation. Adesanya went up and lost. Yeah, Adesanya's already lost. And into prayer. Who's left? Who are the only people left that this, have this Usman kind of... Usman was on a blistering pace. Yeah, and then he got knocked out. Head like, kick. And that's why I like the Jordan conversation. As much as Kobe did, it was like, well, Jordan is like 6-0 in the NBA Finals with six MVPs. Like, what about if he lost before? When it mattered, he just didn't lose. And that's like the bar, because people go, Shannon Sharp... LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. 6-0, MVPs. Stop. Full stop. I watched LeBron melt down against Dallas. I've never seen Michael Jordan melt down. I've seen Michael Jordan not have any help. Yeah, I've seen him lose. Yeah. How you lose, definitely. Yeah, it's like, oh, when he played the Pistons, like, Scotty, what the fuck? Like, that, you could see it in Jordan's face when playing the bad boy Pistons. Scotty, what the fuck? Oh, I'm playing Larry Bird and the Celtics? Let me hang the 69 on you real quick. Don't matter if you win or lose. Like, he was going to lift everybody up. That's why Michael Jordan was a GOAT, because Michael Jordan was, that was the only player that I've ever seen, and then Tom Brady started becoming this as well. No matter how much you're winning by, as soon as he steps on the court, you're like, fuck, they got a chance. Yep. And John is that guy. Oh, he's down two to nothing. He's down three to nothing. He's probably still going to win. Nobody else is like that. No. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we had we thought was the women's equivalent of that Valentina Shevchenko in the co-main event, Alexa Grasso. My God. Scouting. Scouting is a muffle. Because you go, I love your tweet where you're like, Shevchenko slowing down like John Jones, and then we see the baby. Yep. <laughs> but no, like I, I think we may be in a point where it's she's fought so many high-level fighters and fights. And at 135, then 125, she's fought the best in the division for a smooth six years, seven years. Not, not even a second contender. Number one contender is through and through for five, six, seven years. And then we saw Chinks and Armor last time. Yep. It gave a little bit of a game plan. And then Alexa Grasso, who I thought had no chance. I, zero. Shevchenko, second biggest favorite on the card. 
I knew it was going to end in sub. I did not know it was going this way. And right. Grosso and her team, they put out the video today, which is dope, training for that exact spin kick. And I thought at this point, Shevchenko was still winning. She was. The fight. So yeah. I was like, oh, she's going to win. It's not the prettiest of fights for her. But she's going to win. And then she finally threw the spinning kick, and Grosso was like, autopilot. This is what I've been waiting for. Takes her back immediately, sinks in the choke. And it's deep. It's kind of like half face crank, yeah. half choke. Because the entire bottom of Valentina's face and jaw are completely different color than the top of her head. Top of her head went red from being choked out. The bottom was just stark white from the arm being there. And I was like, shit, that's great win for Alexa Grasso. It kind of reminds me of when Nunez lost. Oh, it's it was it's, very similar. It's like, oh, shit, you're... Don't poke the bear in this lead-up to a rematch. Well, so here's the thing about this fight. And I, I tweeted, like, before the fight started. I was like, because I kept saying it all week. I was like, I don't like Alexa's body language. I don't like, she doesn't seem confident. The problem that Valentina did is she allowed her to gain confidence the entire yeah. fight. What John did to Cyril was like, I'm not even give you time, right? Like, as soon as this shit starts, I'm going to put you in a tough spot. Valentina didn't do that. So what happened with Alexa Grasso is what happens to certain fighters like Juliana Pena is like, maybe you're not that good. And as the fight goes on, I'm still here. And the fight goes on and all that shit I heard about you is you're still here and you haven't quite turned it on yet. And I liken this to a game of Madden, right? There was a time where I would never lose at Madden, right? Because I played it all the fucking time. NBA Live, Madden, like I just never lose to the point where if I was losing, I was like, all right, what do I got to do to win the game? Now, if I felt threatened, I go back to what, no, I would, I, if I felt threatened, I just do some wild shit. If I felt comfortable, I just do what I knew. Valentina felt threatened. There was no reason she just threw that spinning back. No. What did she think was going to happen? It was. They weren't knocking her out with it. No. She couldn't gain the space I think she wanted. And she thought that was going to give her space. Right. Like, if you, again, if you play Madden, you don't get it all in one play, right? If you're down 14 nothing, you're looking at the clock and you're going, all right, well, I can stick to my run game because if I can gain 10 yards of play, I'm going to get myself back into this. I just got to trust my defense, right? Other people, when they panic, they was like, oh, I'm going to run this play action bomb fade. I, I got to run this play. Somebody's waiting for it. He's like, he's going to get desperate. Valentina looked desperate throwing that kick. Like, I'm watching the fight, and I'm like, Alexis is gaining more confidence. You can see her in the corner. Like, she's getting bigger. And I say bigger because you can watch them sit up more, nodding their head. And Valentina's going, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get her out of here? Like, there's a second or third round. Valentina takes her down and tries to crucifix her. And Alexis spinning for her life to get out of that crucifix. And that was the moment I was like, uh-oh. Alexa knows she can get out of shit. Again, John and Cyril, he didn't give Cyril a chance to get out of anything because then Cyril could be like, yeah, I, like you give somebody the opportunity to get up, it's a scary thing. John doesn't do that. He, sucked, he just sucked you in and killed you. Alexa spun out of that, and I was like, oh, she's in trouble. I still think Valentina's going to win unless she does something really dumb. And she threw that kick. I was like, this is the dumbest shit i ever seen. I just watched Valentina Shevchenko get desperate because in that fight, she questioned her own greatness. Yeah, I, I think more so than I think she was trying to prove her own greatness. So she wasn't desperate in the sense of losing. It's not mad that she wasn't down 14. She was up 14. 
But in her head. In her head, she, it's not, I don't think she thought she was losing. It's how are you winning? Well, yeah. And it's like, I'm winning a close fight, but I got to throw some shit because this person shouldn't be hanging with me. It's like you're up 14, you want a 21 skunk them. So you throw four deep. They pick it off, take that shit to the house. Now it's seven points. Now it's snowballing on you. are like, oh my God, they're back. And then you end up losing the, the game. All because when, of one bad play. That's it. When you could have just ran the ball. Right. Bread and butter, stick to what you're doing. What got you up 14? No. You wanted to want to embarrass me. Yo, this person never beat me before. They, they shouldn't even be on the sticks. That's how she felt. I'm going to throw this spinning shit. I'm going to get some distance. I want to go for the finish. I want to knock her out. She's not on my level. And boom, the mistake. Yeah. And it snowballed on her. I don't think we see that again from her. I don't know. Here's why I say I don't know. It's because now that Alexis beat her, it's not, it's not like Juliana Payne because Amanda Nunez was compromised. She was COVID compromised. She literally ran out of gas in the fight and submitted because she was dead. Had bad knee problems. Yeah, she like, couldn't do shit for cardio. Like you look at Amanda, because I, I kept saying it, and when I interviewed Amanda, she was like, no, like COVID like compromised me. Again, like John Jones, I have an excuse. Valentina had no excuse for losing that no. fight. So, like you, you mentioned, yeah, she may have been up 14-0, but in her head, she's questioning her greatness. Like, why is she still here? Like, she's still here, and she's, I can see it in her. She thinks she can win. Well, let me prove, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm on the ground, and now I'm getting choked out, and now I'm giving up. And, it, and it, this is not like quitting on the stool and box. It's not like that. It's not like a corner thing. But it was like Valentina realized that it's not my night. It's just not my night. But the bigger issue is, why wasn't it my night? Did I not get up for the fight? It looked like Valentina got up for the fight. It's not like the close fights with Amanda. No. You lost different. Yeah, like you, you got submitted by a woman that we were just like, all right, get her out of the way. And I tweeted in the middle of the fight, like, Aaron Blanchfield was like, oh, shit. Like, watching this fight, she was like, because Aaron's got that mentality right now that like, you can't whoop me. I'm 23. I just beat Jessica Andrade. I can beat anybody. And that kind of mentality sometimes gets you fucked up. But when you see these two fighting, you're like, they're not that good. Let's be honest. Alexa Grasso's not that good. She's far from unbeatable. Like, Blanchfield goes in there next, she probably beats him. Dude, Tatiana Suarez is looking at him, too. Like, yeah. really? Tatiana's like, I'm going back down? Really? Maybe I could show you. Yeah, it's like maybe, but I I don't know if Valentina, she's been so confident. I want to show the world about mixed martial arts. Now you can't. You got to show people you can win again. Yeah. And that's hard. But you got to use that to manufacture shit like John does and and come back. And and the best of them. Amanda used that as fuel. Like, it's it's that thing when you lose. Are you going to use it? And is it going to bring self-doubt? And hold you back? Or are you going to use it to fuel you and be like, no, I, I know what I did wrong. It was a mistake. But I'm going to dominate because I wasn't at my best. She's never even going to have that shot again. No, but a lot of people question themselves. Case in point, I'm going to just jump down the car real quick. Cody fucking Garbrandt. He went like to paralysis. He still did the fancy feet and all this, but he wouldn't even test his chin to engage. But it's one of those things where he might have been fighting for like his contract because he probably gets cut. He doesn't win, so he did enough to win. But, but it wasn't exciting. It wasn't the same Cody Garbrandt. Dude, you're fighting Trevin Jones, who's, who's not great. Lost three in a row 
right? And in the fight, like, when he did the shuffle, I was like, he's trying to convince himself he's great again. That's what it looks like. It's like, he's fighting a piss-poor fight. Now, I guess I heard on commentary, like, Joe was like, that looks like championship. I was like, what's wrong with you? This looks like a man who's been scarred. Yeah. And has never recovered. And he's in a, a spot where I still think he'll, he'll be in bare knuckle before the end of the year. But it's one of those things where sometimes you just got to see yourself win. So no, I, it could take baby steps. It is, but it's just like... like if but, you don't stand in the fire, like, that's what you do. Well, you're Cody Garbrandt, right? And the UFC does nobody any favors. So Cody Garbrandt reached Trevin Jones. Like, Trevin Jones was a gift fight for Cody. Because uh, Cody's like, oh, you're on the top of the prelims. Yep. You need to do this. You think Cody's going to get another Trevin Jones in his next fight? No. The rest of that division is looking at him like food right now. Because if you couldn't get rid of that guy, you're damn sure ain't going to cut it loose on me. Because you're... You're, you're shell-shocked. You don't want to get touched in the chin. Yep. Again, we've seen fighters crumble after that loss because they, they don't know how to deal with it. Thomas Almeida fought Cody Garbrandt was never the same. Cody Garbrandt lost to TJ Dillashaw. The wheels came right off. Oh, that, yeah. that invincibility complex, it's like, I'm invincible, and you get knocked out. What happened? All right, let's do it again. Then you get knocked out again. What happened? Now it's like, I don't want to feel that feeling anymore because yep. I don't know how to deal with it. Well, I go back to John Jones. John Jones doesn't know what that feeling is because it doesn't exist. And he's fighting against that feeling every day because he doesn't want to know what it feels no, like. No, like he, he's built, like Cody got knocked out. Something like Caleb Plant's like, I got knocked out. I never thought that would happen. And some people go, well, now I know I can get knocked out. So I got to fight different. Other people go, fuck that. Erase it. Goldfish. Daniel Cormier, I'm going to fight Steve Miocic. He's bigger than you. I don't care. Well, you got knocked out by John Jones. Who cares? I forgot it. A lot of people don't forget. Cody's like, he's stuck. He'll, I, I promise you, if it's not the end of this year, it'll be by 2024. He'll be in bare knuckle. With Luke Rockhold. And then uh, Bo Nickel, USC pay-per-view debut. Did he knee him in the nuts? Yeah, he hit him in the nuts. Did everybody just ignore it? It wasn't purposeful. No, he I was all in octagon for that one. Like, I was, I was right there. I was like, ooh, he hit him in the nuts. And then I thought they were going to give Pickett, like, time because Pickett was, turned right to the oh. ref. It was like, my nuts. And then at this point, Bo just like, ooh, take him right down. Dude, listen, Bo Nickel, he's It was going to happen anyway. Yeah. It, like, and that's how I think a lot of people was like, why are we wasting time? Why are we going to give you five minutes? Let's get through this show. Yes. Uh, Gamrot, Jalen turned short notice. Good win for Gamrot. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was going to be my fight of the night. It wasn't. Um, Jalen Turner is still scary in this I division. One one going into the final. Yeah, I thought it was close. Whoever had a thirty twenty seven, that judge is stupid. Uh, but Gamera, he looked good, and he beat Jalen Turner used wrestling because Jalen Turner is long as fuck. Yep. Every time he put him on the end of those punches, Gamera was like, "Hey, hey, hey, stop, stop! <laughs> I can't like it's like bees coming at you. Like, Get why your big I, ass over here? Yeah, stop come here. Let around. me take you down. <laughs> so Jalen's gonna have to work on his takedown defense, but he won the fight. Yeah, uh, Rockmanov standing. <laughs> so. I told you, I was like, Jeff Neal's a live dog in this fight because he doesn't really know how to quit and he's got big power because he hit Rockmanov with some big oh, some shots. Bombs. Chef Cat was like, all right, that's what's up. <laughs> like, <laughs> for real? A standing rear naked choke? Like, because at some point, Rockmanov was like, I can't knock this guy out. First of all, Jeff Neal looks like he drinks Thunderbird with Kool-Aid on the weekends and smokes Black and Miles on somebody's lawn. Did you see his tweet after? What? Yeah. He took uh, the picture of him getting standing guillotine. He was like, can't believe he did me like this. And it was baby boy. And Joey's getting choked out. 
Just accept it. No, that shit had me dying because it looked exactly the same. Yeah, but Jeff Neal's he's just phenomenal too. He's a tough guy. But Rachmanov is on that. Oh, look at the rest of this division, right? I think I beat these guys. Colby Covington. Yeah, okay, I could beat you. Rachmanov, he's a problem. Dynamic striker, great ground game. Uh, I don't know if he'll run away with the division. But I know he's looking around at Leon Edwards. He's like, if you're still champ, I'll fuck you up. Like, yeah. it's the sad part about Leon is like everybody thinks he's food and he may not be. But right now, people's like, you won on a walk off. So, yeah, I'm gonna get you. I, everybody looking. At yeah, I'm sorry, everybody. Just can't wait. Um, this weekend's card. Before oh, we get the other out of fight, uh, Driscus Duplass against Derek Brunson. Oh yeah. The funny part about this fight is like Derek Brunson like tried to take a nap in the middle of the fight and was like, maybe if I just lay here. He'll stop. So, just gets <laughs> fucking hammered into Duplass the Duplass was like, wow. <laughs> and the ref was like, all right, that's the devil's there. It was like, I tried to take a nap and showed you how to, like, yeah, I never seen. corner threw in the towel. They're like, hey, we talked about corners not throwing in the towel. They're like, nah, this motherfucker wants to get out of here. Like, yo, he laid down, put his hand behind his head and like closed his eyes and the bell didn't ring and Duplass was like, is he serious? <laughs> get your ass up. <laughs> like, that was like, oh my God, that was violent. All bad. I thought he could have made it to the corner for another round. He didn't even want to do that. No, he was good. Yeah, fight was over. Uh, this weekend, pretty good card up and down for everyone just listening. Said Nurmagomedov opens the main card. That should be fun. Uh, Ricardo Ramos is fighting Austin Lingo. Ramos always brings it. Nikita Krylov, Ryan Spann. Yeah, re- yeah, rebooking that fight. Yes, and now it's the third fight Yeah, uh, on the card. So that should be fun. I'm still picking Krylov. Tells you how bad that fight night was. That the yeah. main event is now the third, <laughs> third fight. <laughs> just like, ah, I'm just going to squeeze this in here in the middle. Uh, Volkov versus Romanov. Heavyweight. It's, it's a weird fight to be set the co-main where I thought Span and Krylov would be yeah. the co-main, but whatever. Like, I don't know. Volkov, I think, loses. We'll see what Romanov Probably. has. And then main event, Petrian versus Marab. Dude. How good is this fight? And it's in like a I listen, people ask me, why don't you go to the Apex? It's like it's like watching uh Michael Jordan play in a high school gym. Like every time I look I at that like place, that environment though. I I don't because I'm big on atmosphere. Like I was big on the atmosphere for John Jones. I like wanted to feel how like this is a Marab and, and Pelayana is a big fight. It is. And it's like Jan just lost to O'Malley in a fight a lot of people didn't think he lost. And uh, arguably, he should still hadn't lost to Aljamain Sterling, right? And he's fighting Marab, who's on his way up, Sterling's training partner. And I'm like, yo, this is happening in front of like 40 people. You could feel the punches in here. I don't though, care. It's, like, it's like you getting punched in the ribs. I'm, I'm huge on atmosphere. And like, I'm one of those guys, always, like, if... You know, I've talked about like being in step shows and performing and doing all that stuff. It's public speaking. If I'm public speaking, there's 10 people. It's harder for me. When there's thousands of people, it's easy for, it's weird. It's just easier for me to perform because I don't feel like I'm talking to you. I feel like I'm talking to all these people. If I'm fighting and I can hear commentary, like, and you know, it's not even, you're not even getting Joe Rogan, right? No disrespect to Paul Felder, who I think is tremendous. But it's like, I'm hearing everything Felder and Bisping are saying. It's not, this fight, it shouldn't be here. <laughs> it's like, it it's like the All-Star game being in Salt Lake City. It's like, why are we doing this here? I, but I love this fight. I don't know what 
Fedoryan is right now mentally. I still think if he still believes he won those fights, is not really questioning himself, he'll win this fight. Yeah, I think he's pissed off mentally. I think he is too. I think he beats Marab because he knows who Marab trains with and he wants that fight back at some point. Marab is really, really good. This is a fucking tremendous fight. This should be on somebody's paper. It is. I, I think Petrion wins. Me too. Because, yeah, I don't think he's down on himself at all. No. I think he believes he won against O'Malley. I think a and, lot of people believe that. And I think he believes he beat Sterling. And it's like he knows he beat him the first time. Yeah. He just so, made a dumb mistake. Yeah. Whoops. So he had him almost out of there. So he's like, no, like, I'm pissed. Like, I got to go in there. I, I can't allow that room for error anymore. I got to go in there and I got to make a statement. And the more important part of this fight is that Pettyon is coming to this fight knowing what Marab wants to do, right? Against O'Malley, like, we didn't really know, like, how Sean, like, we assumed, I assumed that Jan would get him down and smash him. O'Malley showed that he was very resilient. We know Marab wants to get Jan on his back. And Jan's got incredible takedown defense. Aljamain Sterling's takedowns are just underrated because he, he's very creative in how he trips you and gets you down. But Jan knows this really all he has to prepare for. Because it's not like Marab's going to come out and do some spinning shit and Pedro Jan's like, I've never seen this before. So if, if Marab is not as good as a wrestler and as grappling as Aljo is, and Jan finds that out really quick, he's going to fuck Marab up. Marab's going to have to... <laughs> Marab's going to have to, again, can't let somebody get any confidence. Marab's going to have to impose his will quickly because Jan is probably looking at this guy like, you're just in my way. That's it. And he's going to try to get rid of him. So Marab's going to have to hold his ground, but I'm picking Petr Jan because I, I just, he's he took a tiny good. cage. I, I love it. It's yeah. built to stand and bang. I think that's the fight Jan is going to make. He has to. So that's going to be fun. Should, man, we have this, which is a really good card for the Apex, rolling into. Another pay-per-view next week. Do they advertise these things? Because I feel like nobody knows about it. When there's so many pay-per-views, how much time do you have? It was just so weird. You just had to sell one. You couldn't really sell this one because you had to sell that one. Right. And that one's overseas, which we know it'll be a big big card. But it's so weird because it's like, again? (laughs) That's like, (laughs) didn't I just? Am I bugging? I know this just We're going to do it again. And then, you know, they announced like UFC 288 and they didn't announce Al Jones Cejudo. And it, like I looked at it and it was like, in Benil Darius and Charles Oliveira, I was like, ah, oh, this card sucks. I forgot it was in the like, final card. Cool, <laughs> but, but it's like, that's how big the John Jones fight was where yeah. it just like ate every, it was the eater of worlds. It was like nothing else matters. You're going to another pay-per-view in two weeks? This one is sandwiched in a weird spot because Miami is about to be a banger. Yeah, poor promo. That's what I was going to get his ass kicked in front of everybody. Yes, yes, he will. Dave Caddy going to come out and watch. And then Israel and that main, like that card is just going to trump all of this. So, yeah. fortunately for Usman and Edwards, stuck in a weird place. Yeah, but for Leon, though. Better, better than being a fight night. Yeah, but for Leon, he's not, even, he's not thinking pay-per-view. He's fighting in front of his country. Yeah. So, like, like it makes it so much. Like, he doesn't even care. Like, he's like, I'm here now. I don't know how Kamara, like Kamara's going into hostile territory. I think he's going to feed off of that too. I mean, he should. I just don't know how getting your snot box rocked at the last second, how you recover I, from that. I think Kamara, we'll talk about that more in detail. That's what's the most intriguing because I need to see Kamara on that walk because that crowd is going to make him eat shit. Yep. And Leon, he's good. Never said he wasn't good. But I said in that fight, I was like, what does he do better than Kamaru? And it's still, the answer was still nothing. 
He just caught him. Same thing we just mentioned with Shevchenko. Yep. Sometimes scouting is great. And Leon's team scouted that. Yo, you faint here, faint here. Throw the kick over the top. He drops that hand. And it's a good night. And they practice that shit before the fight. And you never know when it's going to be deployed. So we, we've seen that several times now um, over the course of last year and heading this year. Now it's time. How do you adjust? So that's the biggest thing. We'll talk about all that next week. We appreciate you all. Usually we have MMA guests. We won't have another one next week. So we get to get into all these fights. You guys stay tuned. Make sure you guys listen to our boxing and pro wrestling episodes later in the week. So we'll keep this short and sweet. For everyone here at Blue Wire Studios in the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas, myself for the old man Andres Hale. Follow us on all social platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. You guys know the handles. By now, we appreciate you all. Till next time, we're out. Peace.